Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good day to you all tuning in. You're listening to another episode in the um, collaboration between the Beautiful Game podcast and Eurosport. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, and I'm joined by my faithful co-conspirators, Dot and Pete Sharland from Eurosport. Gents, are we well? Very well. Yeah, good, thanks. Great stuff. Now, of course, as ever in this series, we're bringing you coverage of uh, this year's Euros and we're back again to cover the fixtures that have been played in the in the last round. Now, there's no better place for us to start than the, the game that is freshest in the mind. And that is the one between uh, England and Czech Republic. Um, and it was interesting because prior to the game, there was a lot of talk around the starting 11 that Gareth Southgate would deploy. And an interesting stat emerged, which was that no manager in this tournament had made fewer substitutions than Gareth Southgate. Um, and of course, this is, um, it, you know, also due to the fact that a lot of people feel that the England team is potentially one of the best um, teams uh, at the tournament, you know, in terms of the depth of the squad, in terms of the youthful exuberance, the energy, um, the attacking options and what have you. And so there have been a lot of criticisms that uh, Gareth Southgate is, isn't pragmatic enough and is too negative at, at times. And I, I guess I wanted to ask and start off with the starting eleven in this game. I know Bukayo Saka in particular would, would have been a surprise to everybody. Um, but do you feel that the uh, starting eleven that he decided to go with was the right one uh, ultimately um, going into this game? Could he have been a bit more, um, uh, uh, a, a bit more of a risk taker potentially, and been been a bit more attacking in his lineup? We'll uh, we'll start with you, Pete. I think he was relatively risk taking. I mean, I think we all expected Jack Grealish to come into the starting lineup, but I don't think anyone saw Bukayo Saka starting. Mm. I think everyone thought if there was going to be a change in the attacking positions, the the universal call for Jaden Sancho would finally be answered. But Gareth Southgate continues to baffle and elude us there. Mm-hmm. Although having said that, obviously the decision to start Saka was a really good one because he sort of brought that energy and creativity that we've seen when he plays further forward for Arsenal. And I think when the squad was named, I think he was the player that everyone was sort of looking at as like, oh, that's a bit of a wild card option there. Mm. Despite having a pretty good season for us and obviously tailed off towards the end a little bit. So I think that, I think pretty much, I think what we learned from that game, and I think I said this after the last game, is stop trying to guess Gareth Southgate's teams because you're not going to be able to do it. He's going to do things that you don't necessarily expect. And he's going to do what he thinks is best for the team each time. And I think he got it right in this game. I I think especially because... 
the Czechs were relatively adventurous, but they're not exactly all out attack. And they were they knew that they could just sit back and play it cautious, especially given the fact they were already through. So I think that moving forward into the next round, I think what he does will be interesting because there's an argument to be had that you don't change your winning team. And it was possibly England's best performance so far of the tournament, although it wasn't really great still. Like I think there's still a lot more to come from this team. And I think I think the next step now is to figure out whether you're happy with your system as it is or whether you start making changes based on the players who come back in, like obviously Mason Mount and Phil Foden. Mm. A really, really good point that you make there, Pete. And, and, and a question for you, Dot, is, is that pr- prior to the kickoff of the tournament, when Gareth Southgate was selecting his squad, a lot of what he was speaking about was the versatility of, of, of players and the fact that, you know, he was picking a squad based on players who could play in a number of different positions. And so building on from what Pete's just mentioned there about start the, the starting eleven, do you anticipate that we're going to see more chopping and changing and players playing in different roles rather than having a set starting eleven that we think will be nailed on um, going forward in, 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 into the knockout stages? Um, it's a tough question to answer if I'm being totally honest. Um, I think he's set on the formation, 4-2-3-1. I think he's going to play that for the remainder of the tournament. I said it pre-tournament that it has to be a four at the back. People disagreed with me, but I was confident that it was going to be a four at the back regardless of whether Maguire was fit or not. And it was good to see Maguire come in because I think he played really well. He had a few hairy moments here and there, but that's expected when you've been out for 44 days with you know ankle ligament damage. In terms of your initial question, I think Gareth Southgate has a big headache after yesterday, if I'm being totally honest, because I don't think he expected Jack Grealish and Bakayo Saka to be so good. And going forward, I'll probably say those are the two players that I want to support Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane, if I'm being honest, because Phil Foden didn't really take his chance. I was expecting him to really light up this tournament and be one of the players of the tournament. Mason Mount, he offers a lot of energy and a lot of quality, but I do not think he dictates the pace of a game. And every time Jack Grealish got the ball yesterday, you can see the players are so confident that he's going to retain possession, keep it ticking, play the game at his own tempo. And I think in international football, you need a player like that. And England don't have a player like Jack Grealish. My worry would be, Obviously, we don't know who England are going to play in the next round. This we're recording in the morning before the last group games, and I think obviously permutations wise, there's a chance it could end up being France, for example. And I think if it's France, I would want Mason Mount playing to try and neutralise the threat of N'Golo Kante because you know what France will do; they will just tell Kante to follow Jack Grealish everywhere. But if Mason Mount can use his work rate and his energy to make Kante's life more difficult, that's an important battle, I think, for England to win. But if it's someone else, like Portugal, say, their midfield isn't as strong as France's. So then I think you're absolutely fine starting all three of the ones who started behind Harry Kane last night. So I think a lot of it is speculative, but I agree with what Dot said. I don't think you can necessarily just take Grealish and Saka out of the team. I think they showed so much more than we've seen from pretty much any other player for England so far this tournament. Um, the other player I wanted to highlight as well was Luke Shaw. I thought he had a good game. I thought he offers a lot more from the left than Kieran Trippier does. And I know why Trippier started the first game against Croatia, but I just think having a natural left back in there makes a big difference. And I think it makes England a lot more of a threat because you're going to, whoever plays on that left hand side 
is going to come in. That's just, it doesn't matter which who you pick. There's no one who's going to hug that touchline. They're all going to come in. So having the natural width from that fullback area, I think is really important. I think, obviously, I think you could have made a case for either him or Chilwell before the tournament, but I think so far the Shaw's got that spot nailed down. Yeah, 100%. And we saw that even early on, um, you know, where... Um, uh, he combined, or he, you know, Luke Shaw played that uh, forward pass to Raheem Sterling and, and Sterling, you know, uh, loved the keeper, but then it, it, it hit the post. I think it was also interesting that that uh, sort of passage of play came from Kane dropping deep and picking up the, the, the ball and then playing it out to Luke Shaw. And I know there's, a, a, of course, been a lot of chat around um, uh, the, the fact that Harry Kane dropping deep could potentially be an issue for England. Um, it, it wasn't uh, so much of an issue in in that game. Um, uh, another question I wanted to ask you both is on the the partnership of Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. I know that uh, Jordan Henderson came on um, and, and he got some minutes in, in, in his legs um, in that game uh, yesterday too. But do you anticipate that that will continue to be the starting midfield pairing that, you know, Gareth Southgate's not going to want to upset that that balance um, going forward? Yeah, I, th- I think it will stay as it is. I think Calvin Phillips has probably been my most pleasant surprise of the tournament from an England perspective. I really thought he would just be going there as cover for Henderson if he wasn't a fit. Obviously, Henderson's fitness levels were far lower than I think a lot of us anticipated. But I think Phillips has really shown the full gamut of what he can do as a player. I think a lot of people thought he was just in there as a bruiser, but he's been terrific on the ball as well. And I think he's... There's, but there's an argument to have that he's been England's most consistent player and possibly even England's best player so far this tournament. And I think, I don't think, again, I don't, it's the same thing with Saka and Grealish. I don't think you change something that's working and him and Rice are working together really well. So I don't understand why you would change anything by bringing Henderson in who doesn't look fit yet or by bringing, if you feel like you have to bring Mountain by trying to play him deeper. I know I suggested this before the tournament started, but I think now with the way that Phillips has played, I think you just leave those two as they are. Mm. Fair, fair play. Now, of course, whilst this uh, game was was being played, we also had Croatia taking on uh, Scotland, and ultimately uh, Croatia came away three one winners in that fixture um, to to end the, uh, the, the 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 Scottish hopes of of uh, progressing further in the competition. And I mean, all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave the rest up to you, Charland, is Modric masterclass. Take us away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I was watching both games because I think you know, I think a lot of people were. I think also we had Paul Hayward and Marcus Foley at Wembley last night for Eurosport. They both have excellent pieces on England that you should definitely go and read after this. Listen to this podcast. I th- so when I was watching Scotland Croatia, I sort of wanted to see which team was going to take hold of the game and take their chance to go through to the next round because it was effectively a straight shootout. Whoever won was going to go through. And I was really, really impressed by Croatia. I think in their first two matches, they've been slow and ponderous and they looked like a team three years removed from a golden generation that reached a World Cup final. But they actually looked like a team who can cause some damage in this tournament now. They switched up a little bit. So they kept with the 4-2-3-1 formation, but they moved Luka Modric further up. So you had Marcelo Brozovic and Matej Kovacic as the two behind him. And Luka Modric was effectively playing the same role that Grealish plays for England. He's obviously a very different player to Grealish. But... The principle was the same. Everything was going through him, and he couldn't. He couldn't have had. An, he couldn't have had more time. Scotland couldn't get anywhere near him. And the goal was obviously a thing of beauty. But the whole performance was masterful. And it wasn't just him. The other goal scorers, even Perisic and Nikola Vlasic, were both absolutely superb. 
And I couldn't help think about what Pat Nevin said last week when he was asked about Modric and the Croatian team. And he said they thought they looked old and slow. And he'd rather have John McGinn in his team than Luka Modric, which was <laughs> which was a bold a bold take to say the least. And I think, look, like don't get me wrong, like, McGinn was really good last night. And again, like it wasn't Robertson or Tierney. Like everything good was was because of McGinn. He was Scotland's best player by a mile, and he will be Scotland's best player for a long time. I feel, but you just look at Modric, and it's you can tell the difference between top quality and world class quality. Like there is a difference, and Modric is still world class. He's so good, and I just think that they've figured it out at the right time and they're going to have theoretically at least a relatively easy next round match unless obviously Spain sort of stumbled their way into second although having said that I don't even know if Spain's a difficult game at the moment they're playing so poorly they're on the tougher side of the draw you'd probably say although it depends on how it lands tonight in the group F games but like we didn't see this coming in 2018 I'm not saying they're going to get to the final because I don't think they will but I think they are now a team you don't want to face because they're really hitting top gear just very, very, very quickly, I think world-class quality is a bit of an understatement from Pete. I think this is one of the best midfielders of this generation. I think you can make the argument that after Xavi and Iniesta, he's probably the next one in that bracket. He's been an amazing player and for me, mm. one of the best midfielders to ever play football. Um, okay, so moving on to Denmark and, and Russia and, and Dot, we're going to kick things off with you on this one uh, admittedly I was watching the the Belgian game whilst this game was being played and getting live updates so obviously um whilst uh, the game was going on but it made me like getting those updates made me feel as though I'd picked the wrong game to watch because yeah. it just seemed like it was all happening in that in 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 that game um and we saw you know the the the, the continued um raucous atmosphere from the crowd and you know you you just heard like with every goal that was scored and whatnot just how uh you know behind how much of a, a 13th man that that uh live audience really really were um but just generally your your take on the game dot what did you what did you what did you find what were the key points for you i think that performance is what we're going to see from denmark for the rest of the tournament a lot of passion a lot of heart playing full throttle football and just trying to do it for Christian Eriksen. I said mm. after the incident that Denmark have won this tournament for me after the way they handled that situation. The medics, absolutely outstanding. And I think they're just going to continue to enjoy the tournament. And there's no pressure on them mm. because they're not expected to go far. As for Christiansen, I mean, when he scored that, I was jumping off my seat because... I didn't know he had that in him. What he's, a, never, he's, ne- he's never scored for Chelsea. He's never scored. Yeah. It was a master blaster, yeah. but that's what <laughs> adrenaline and just passion can do to a player. Someone that you don't expect to score that sort of rocket just smashes it into the top corner. But it was a good performance from Denmark. I think Russia, they've been a bit poor this tournament. I like um, Golovin in midfield. I think he's a really good player. He lit up the World Cup mm. four years ago. But I think apart from that, they don't really have much quality, but fair play to, to Denmark. Denmark are a good team. Like there's a they reason why there's a reason why they're they're here and Norway aren't. And Norway have Erling Haaland and Martin Odegaard. But Denmark mm. are a Denmark are a good team. And it's obviously a real shame that they don't have Christian Eriksen, who is probably their best player. But I think you saw some of the younger players coming through. Like obviously Dansgaard scored. Like there's a really good group of talented young players coming through in Denmark. And no, they're not at the level of Erling Haaland, but, you know, there's maybe like two players in the world who are at his age. So, you know, but 
the point is that they've got a good setup and a good structure. And I think even though a lot of these players like Kasper Schmeichel, Simon Kiar, like a lot of them are now either in their 30s or, or like close to it, we may not see them at Euro 2024. But I think there's every chance we see this team at the World Cup next year. Like there's a, there's a really good setup here. Yeah, yeah. Certainly that uh, Mikel Damsgaard, the uh, 20-year-old winger from uh, Sampdoria, will be one to watch. The way he took that goal was oh, oh, sumptuous, yeah. you know, and really, really announced himself at, uh, you know, on, on, on the big stage at this, at this tournament. But certainly one that I'm going to keep close tabs on. Uh, is it one? Is he one that could potentially be, uh, uh, um, you know, linked to a move away from Sampdoria this transfer window? That That might be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Um, just on that point, um, I can't remember who made it, but uh, about uh, go- unexpected goals from unexpected sources. Um, just a, a nod to um, to Hoiberg uh, this tournament, because I think he's been an unsung hero for, for Denmark. I think he's got three assists so far uh, this tournament. And of course, he, he's not a player that you would typically associate with um, assists and creating goals, right? He's just that... You know, um, you know that sort of uh, um, you know swashbuckling midfielder who's going to fly into challenges. Who's you know, you know that kind of player. So you know, to to to, to have him contributing and stepping up when he needs to, to you know, chip in with with assists is is definitely a a, a joy to to behold. He's that classic. He's so underrated that everyone overrates him, Blair. Isn't he? No, I'm not saying he's yeah. a bad player because he's a yeah, great player, yeah. but everyone thinks he's like the most underrated player in the Premier League. So by definition, he cannot be the most underrated player in the Premier League. Like, but you're right, like he's he's another one who like I feel, I just think when you think I think when you think of some of the Nordic nations like Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, I think you don't think of Denmark in the same way as I think because they haven't got those big superstars like Haaland or Odegaard or Isaac or we haven't seen him yet, but Kurosevsky. And I think I think like people are really realizing now that this Danish team is no joke. And I think there's a lot of really good footballers in there. Now moving on to the game between the Netherlands and North Macedonia, uh, another very very interesting game. Um, and I mean it, you know, uh, another f- uh, win for Netherlands, three uh, 0 It does beg the question, um, and you know, I know we were talking about it a little bit off air before we before we started recording. But you know, do Netherlands have the quality um, in in all positions in the pitch, the strength in the spine? to be a real team to watch out for in, 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 in the knockout stages? Could they potentially go the the entire way? No. Is the question I, I start with. No? I agree, I agree with Pete. No, no. no okay. like, look, look, I think I was one of the ones who was very sceptical of this Dutch team coming in. I was very sceptical of Frank de Boer and I was very worried about the lack of Virgil van Dijk. Having said that, they have massively proved me wrong and they've been one of the most impressive teams in the tournament. Like, it's not... It's no, it doesn't matter who your group is. Like, it's no easy feat to go perfect in a group, given you're playing so frequently. But they're still not good enough to win this tournament. Like, it's been, it's a relatively weak group, and I think a lot of us have been disappointed by Ukraine in particular. And I think North Macedonia gave a really good account of themselves. But again, like, it was, it's not the strongest of groups. And I think until we see them against a top quality opposition, I don't think we can say for certain whether they're whether they've got enough to win it. And what I've seen so far, I don't think they do. Having said that, there is an unbelievable amount of talent in this team. And I think that any Dutch fans watching this should be really, really excited for the next two or three tournaments as a Dutch fan. 
you think of some of the young players like Milan and Gravenbach and even some of the players who didn't make the team to make the final squad, like, there's so much talent in the Netherlands right now. And I think next year, if they can get Van Dijk back and fit and they can keep this system, get some of those young players a bit more experienced, someone like Denzel Dumfries is obviously going to get a big move somewhere. Mm. I think they're going to be a real threat in 2022 and 2024, but they're not good enough yet. Now. Yeah, 100%. And you know what's very, very interesting as well, Pete, is, is I mean, you, you you touched on it a little bit there in terms of the um, the, the young players that are coming through, someone like Adoniel Marlin. Um, he had a really, like, sort of telepathic kind of connection with Memphis Depay in that game. And I and I think those two together um, are certainly ones to watch. I think both of, both, I mean, both of them are still quite young. Uh, Marlin in particular, I think he's only 22. Um, but it's just for the third goal, that they scored. It was just the fact that De Jong played it into Marlon. And as soon as he made that pass, uh, Depay was already spinning uh, around that center half because he knew that he was going to get the ball. And I think it is, is definitely going to be one to, to, to look out for and one that will certainly be interesting. Of course, Depay has recently got his, uh, his big um, move to, uh, to Barcelona. Uh, maybe. Um, it finally <laughs> over the line. Um, Marlon, I think, is one that uh, a lot of uh, people will be looking out for going going forward. But in that trio, someone else that we haven't uh, mentioned too much is uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum. And the fact that he's really stepped up to the plate in terms of responsibility, of course, with, with you know, in the absence of Virgil van Dijk. And it seems as though he plays with the shackles taken off a little bit when he's playing for, for Netherlands. He's 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 a bit uh, further forward. He's contributing to goals. He's making those third man runs that that Dot loves into the in into the box. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it is a joy to behold, and and it, it makes me wonder, you know, what kind of role will he play for PSG? Um, you know, thinking about the kind of profile of midfielder that they have in their squad, do you guys expect that he will play further forward? Will he be in a bit more of a a slightly reserved role, similar to the role that he plays for Liverpool. What are your thoughts, Dot? I don't know. Um, Genie, he just shows how good of a footballer he is. Uh, mm. When you see him in the Liverpool system, he's this ball-carrying, defensive, sort of pivot midfielder who retains possession and plays it very simple. But then you see him for Netherlands and you're like, wow. This is a goal-scoring attacking midfielder that makes Fred Man's runs. And it just shows he's a complete midfielder. Mm. Um, and I think you asked a question previously on another episode saying, can he maintain this sort of goal-scoring record? And I was like, of course he can, because he's been doing this for years for Netherlands. Like, he is a goal-scoring midfielder before his time at Liverpool. Mm. At Newcastle, he was banging in the goals. So this is a player that's probably more comfortable playing in the final third but because he's so tactically astute, he's someone that can do a team job at Liverpool. Um, in terms of his role for PSG, I think they may use him as an attacking option. But I think for me, the position I want Genie in is that sitting role where he can control possession, manipulate the ball, be press resistant and just keep it ticking. And I think that's what PSG will be buying him for. Mm. I think, um, I think this is possibly his last tournament to do this. I think I think he will come, I think he'll have to start sitting deeper in 2022 mm. and 2024 because you look at some of the players coming through, you've got Calvin Stangs, Mohamed Yatter and uh, Myron Bodu as well. Like I think like there are so many young players who are going to come in and play 
as a 10. I think even Marlon can do it if he needs to sit back. So I just think this is, I don't, I doubt Frank De Boer said to him, this is your last chance to play as a 10. I think it's what they need him to do, given the, where, the, where the other strengths of the team lie. I think he's been doing brilliantly. And I think, I reckon, I don't know, it depends on how Mauricio Pochettino wants to see his team line up, but mm. I don't see any reason why he couldn't play the Deli Alley role. That like playing if he played off someone, mm. it depends on obviously what happens in the summer. You're assuming that possibly Kylian, Kylian Mbappe might leave. If he does, like you could just shift Neymar out to the left and play uh, Alden through the middle. But that's it goes back to what Dot said. He's so good at everything. He can do everything. It's not like, there's no real weaknesses in his game. Like he's a complete midfielder, and that that's a nice thing to have as a manager. Most certainly one to keep uh, a lookout for. 100%. Um, okay. And, and just uh, sort of slightly touching on, on Belgium, um, who, of course, came away 2-0 winners um, against uh, Finland. The opening question I have to ask you both is, what goes down as the more legendary own goal? Chesney's uh, um, own goal against Slovakia or Radetzky's uh, own goal against Belgium? <laughs> I would say probably Chesney. Really? Yeah. <laughs> do you do you agree with that one, Pete? Is it is it Chesney's own goal that goes down yeah. as a more legendary one? It's probably Chesney. I, <laughs> I want. I, 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 I need to watch. I need to watch the goal, the goal again. To be honest, <laughs> I, can, I didn't watch that again. Fair fair play. Now. Um, of course, that, that game, I think, you know, the, the Belgium didn't really raise any eyebrows with that win. I think it was expected and anticipated. Um, good to see the combination of um, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku, uh, you know, the pair that just wouldn't be denied. I, for one, um, didn't think that the first goal was offside, um, but it was given. And, um, and but still, you know, they, they combined for... But for the goal in the end, um, it was a really, really well taken goal. And I, I and I wanted to ask if you guys had seen the um, the video that was doing the rounds on social uh, media when Lukaku was um, on loan at Everton and he was doing a video with Jamie Carragher speaking about how he takes, yeah, how, how you know how he he always is confident that he's going to score when he's got like his hand on the on the the central defender and he rolls him and and, and finishes. And we saw that. In you know, in in all its glory in that game, didn't we? I'm just going to go in first with my bit on the own goal. So I watched it again. I'm going to give a different opinion. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to go for the Hrodetsky goal. I think it's just, it's just it depends obviously what you define by legendary, but it's just so funny like him watching the ball hit the post and it just comes back and hits him. Obviously, it'd be funny if it hit him in the face and then gone back in. But like obviously, he's got history with that own goal that he scored during the Bundesliga this season. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's, I feel for him because he's. I feel like he's actually proven himself to be a pretty strong goalkeeper during this tournament. But unfortunately, you suspect that's what's going to be remembered going forward. Dot, did, 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 did you want to go first on the Lukaku thing, or did you? Or do you want me to? This is what I'm saying. I was um, speaking on another platform the other day, and I was saying. Everyone's been talking about Harry Kane, pre-tournament, Lewandowski, Karim Benzema. But this kid, Lukaku, one of the best strikers in the world. We have to give him his credit. He's refined his game. When he was in the Premier League at Man United, he was almost made a laughing stock. Let's be honest, he got chased out of the country. He's gone to Italy, 
you know, won the player of this season, won the league title, and now he's a complete striker. He's holding off, you know, defenders. His first touch has improved and his mm. finishing is emphatic. Mm. And for me, you keep Kevin De Bruyne fit and you keep Lukaku fit, you have a chance. Whether it's going to be enough to win the tournament, I'm not quite sure. I think they're a semi-final team at the moment, but they have a chance. Well, those two are the difference, aren't they? They're the difference mm-hmm. between... We were talking about the Netherlands earlier, and I don't think I've seen enough from them to feel confident. You could make the same claim about Belgium. They've gone perfect, but it's a weak group. Like, mm-hmm. What do we know about them? We know they've got two of the best players in the world in their team. That's what we know. We can't say that about the Netherlands, especially with no Van Dijk. Mm-hmm. With Belgium, Lukaku and Kevin De Bruyne are two of the best players in the world right now. And yeah, I think that I think the concerns about the defence are going to stay there. I think you just look at that back three and you just think, God, you can get at that so easily. But mm. everywhere else, it's starting to look pretty good. Axel Witzel's getting more minutes under his belt. Eden Hazard's got a full 90 for the first time, I think, in two years. So yeah, like things are starting to slowly come together. I think the really interesting thing, I think, from this group stage so far is that there is no team to me that really stands out because I think the perfect teams so far have had tough groups. And I think, oh, sorry, the, sorry, the perfect teams have had easy groups so far. And mm. I think that the bigger teams that we might expect to dominate are obviously drawn together in Group F. And I think no one's really stood out. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I don't think you could, I think if you polled 100 people on the street about the two finalists, I think you get 100 different answers. I don't think you can say for certain. I think that's obviously from our point of view what makes a great tournament. Yeah, definitely. Most certainly. Uh, and just before we wrap up, uh, just another uh, uh, another one to watch is uh, the uh, the young winger, Jeremy Doku for, for Belgium. Um, 19-year-old winger. I think he plays in France for Rennes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, he moved there not too long ago. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, is are Leicester linked with him? Leicester linked with anyone who's at the age of 23. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly one, one to look, he was a real live wire. And I think particularly when he swapped wings with Hazard and he was coming in from the left on his right, he looked he looked really, really dangerous and he's very sharp. So um uh, Ren paid 25 million euros for him. Like a club like Ren doesn't do that unless they yeah. think he's a real talent and they can get a lot of money back in return. Yeah. I don't think he'll go this summer because I think if one's going to go, it'll obviously be Camavinga, but... Yeah, like, yeah, as you said, like, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Thank you very much, gents. We're going to leave it there and, and, and round up there. Still uh, so much football ahead of us and 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 it is really, really hotting up now. Um, it's just, you know, the, 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 the competition is just bringing up so many surprises and, 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 and shock results and, you know, players stepping up that we wouldn't have anticipated or expected would... And I think that that will certainly continue uh, into the knockout stages. So uh, we'll be back in a few days to review the next round of fixtures. Um, so we're going to um, uh, leave it there, but keep it locked, stay tuned. And we'll be back with another episode for all of you guys very shortly. Thank you very much for listening in uh, up until now. And until the next episode, over and out. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 